1: Hello everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays from the program where we are the ones nipping at Jack Frost and not the other way around. Today on the program, Mika Casey is my special guest. She's a health and fitness expert who's going to have plenty of special tips for us, how to cope during the holidays, how to take care of some of those nasty coping devices we use instead of healthy behaviors. And then I will uh, continue on with my leadership and business lesson about teams, teamwork, and executive teams, all coming up for you today here on Better Than Before, brought to you by University Subaru. And right now, when you get a new Subaru during the Subaru Share the Love event, Subaru will donate $250 to a charity in need. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Back with Mika Casey right after this. The three-row Subaru Ascent.
2: Room for up to eight passengers. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus up to 27 miles per gallon. Kelly Blue Book's most trusted and best overall brand for 2020. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Join us for the Subaru Share the Love event going on now. Subaru will donate $250 to purchases or lessees selected national and hometown charities. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See retailer or Subaru.com slash share for details.
0: Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com.
1: Welcome back to better than before I'm really really excited today because my special guest is Mika Casey and she was born and raised in Toronto after attending 11 schools and watching her second father cheat on her mother she ran away to Montreal at 17 years old and convinced a nice man to hire her as a bartender where she began earning money and influence. Mika soon discovered that she spent most of her life pleasing others and not really knowing why. After close to 20 years in front of cameras and audiences, modeling in trunk shows, fashion shows, trade shows, and magazines, singing in resorts, acting in films, and beer commercials, she just felt empty and lost. She had abused her body, her relationships, and her spirit, often turning to food and alcohol as coping devices. Finding herself depressed, uninspired, and sick, she had an aha moment and discovered she was running a generational program that she believed she could change. She made the decision to immerse herself in books, classes, and courses, learned about paradigms, trauma, human potential, and nutrition. Now today, the story ends well, folks. Today, as a certified holistic nutritionist, vitality coach, and respected trauma counselor, Mika lives a happy, healthy, and fulfilled life serving others to find their joy. Her relationships are intimate and thriving. She lives in her dream house, drives her dream car, and is living her life on purpose with passion and vitality. And all our listeners are going to want to know how she did all that. So you're going to often hear her say, if I can, you can, let me show you how. So man, what an introduction. Mika Casey, welcome to the program. Thank
3: you, Tony. Very honored to be here.
1: Yeah, you bet. Listen, so you went through all of this adversity, and now you're living in your dream house, which I caught a little bit of the other day during one of your videos on Facebook. I think I told you nice house, but if I didn't, nice house. Thank
3: you. It's amazing to live here, to wake up every morning and see the ocean and the sunrise, and you know, if I'm home, catch the sunset. It's, it's magnificent.
1: So I always like to ask this question because I experienced this myself. We are now living in the the house that uh, my wife always dreamed of. But what I'm curious about is what was the first thing or first two or three things you did when you decided on what your dream house was going to be?
3: Yeah, great question. The first thing I did was, uh, you know, figure out what was going to make me happy. And if I could find happiness outside, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. And then I and then once I created that visual, I started to look for a place that I could live where I could see that outside from my home. Because I figure, um, you know, coming home, getting up, all these things have influence on our moods, on our, our creativity. At least that's my belief. And so that's really where it started. The next thing is I had to have the courage to plant the seed that this was going to be possible for me because, you know, coming from the lifestyle that I had had up and down and I had relied a lot on outside forces for income, I really didn't know how I was going to create this for myself, by myself. And so having the courage to dream, and then setting it into into action. So I created a vision board eight years ago of this dream house that I had in the dream car in the driveway. And every year I have hosted vision board events and um it's been on the vision board every single year so having that courage i think to to plant the seed and then see it even when you don't believe it just continue to see it and then your mind starts to get convinced that it can happen it will happen and then it does happen
1: yeah you bet so that's that's what i thought you probably were going to say i know my wife had a binder and um over let's see um It was almost a twelve year period where she we we lived in two different houses before we got to the, the one. And she would cut things out of every magazine she saw that would that appealed to her, and she would paste them into this. Now she's a huge vision board fan also, but the board just wasn't going to be big enough for this house, right? And so I tell you know, people are like, "How'd you get this house?" I'm like, you really want to know?" Like so it was a very similar process. Well, I thought you might say that. Now, contrast that with this twenty year period where, I mean, you were just really unhappy, but you were you were living the life where most people would think, wow, you got to be in beer commercials. You got to be in this and you got to be on stage and like that must be really something that makes you happy. But you really weren't happy. Like, tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, well, Tony, it ebbed and flowed. There were moments where I was absolutely, you know, in bliss. I had the privilege of being on private planes and private yachts and, you know, VIP for this, that, and the other thing. I was treated like a queen and many times. And then there was the flip side where I was treated like an object and things were expected of me that weren't part of the contract. And I lost myself in certain uh, moments. And those moments were incredibly dark where I started to doubt myself, um, my abilities, my character, uh, my discipline. And it, it it got lonely at times, traveling, being young and traveling and surrounded by people who were often as lost as I was, um, you know, be it the photographers or the producers. Uh, there was so much chaos. And. I learned that there was a lot of divorce, a lot of infidelity, and a lot of coping mechanisms for unhappy people and I fell into that I fell into you know a glass of wine, two glasses of wine, going out for a social event, six glasses of wine, numbing myself because it's a. It felt. I felt trapped. I felt like I was earning a great income for this smile, and yet at the same time, there were so many expectations and very little appreciation for who I was and what I was doing. So there was a push and pull, and I just had. I just there. I'd had enough at one point. I really had enough of uh, pleasing other people, and and wanted to, to start to search from within to see what was. What else was inside of me there? You know, and, and I don't want to come across as uh, somebody who's um, selfish or arrogant. It's just that in those years, I was paid for my smile. I was paid for my skin. I was paid for my waistline. I was paid for, you know, not necessarily for who I was, but for how I looked. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there had to be more to me than than the physical appearance. and. That's really what went on in my mind.
1: <laughs> well, I, I tell you, uh, and I mean this in all sincerity, if anybody ever takes a moment to watch one of your Facebook videos, and I re- highly recommend that everyone who listens to my program do that, you were definitely in your lane right you you were in your lane because you are very good at being energetic coming across you're a genuine person and you belong on video right or on camera or whatever you just look totally comfortable there and even if a person isn't doing necessarily your program or doing the things you're talking about you're just you have a, an ability to energize people and so you probably had that and you were in the right you were in the right uh, thing, but you, you were in the wrong atmosphere, right? So is there any reason you particularly chose food and alcohol? Like some people would choose drugs or they would maybe choose material things or something like that, but yours was food and alcohol, right?
3: Yeah. Well, um, I grew up with a lot of drug abuse in the home and, um, and so that was something that I did not, I didn't want to participate in. And then also in the field, there were a lot of women, um, young girls like myself in their teens, twenties, that were doing cocaine uh, to stay slim. They were uh, doing e. They were doing whatever they needed to do to cope with um, the the career um, that they had chosen. And. I had chosen alcohol because it was it was social and it didn't seem to be so bad and unfortunately two glasses of wine led to three and all of a sudden it was Dom Perignon and Cristal and then it was Martinis and then it was shots and it was it was a sense of belonging honestly that um, The alcohol was a sense of belonging and the same thing with the food. I had initially Struggled with anorexia. I didn't see myself as beautiful. I didn't see myself as slim I didn't see myself as the way that others saw me and with so much um, People would would pull at me. I mean, I I literally when I was in Paris uh, they had me stand on a step stool and um, they stood underneath my buttocks and they squeezed my thigh uh, to see if there was any cellulite. And that moment just was such a berating, degrading, demeaning part of the industry that we don't see. Mm. And that stuck with me. And and so I never felt like I was enough. And the alcohol didn't seem like it was a a drug. It it just kind of happened. Um, And so after the anorexia, when I started to have a healthier relationship with food, my metabolism was a mess. And then I started to overeat to compensate for um, the later years in the industry where I was depressed. And um, I had done so much work on the anorexia and the issues that I had, I had been through, that it just seemed like the natural course to start to overeat instead. And yeah, that's really what happened.
1: Yeah, so a lot of our listeners, they've been familiar. I've talked many, many times about programs that are running in your subconscious, and uh, that a lot of your beliefs and actions are really directed by those programs. And I found it interesting in your introduction, yours is generational. I think a lot of people's go back generations, right? Because we grow up with the first models that we have are our grandparents and our parents and stuff like that. So you talked about a generational program. So was the food and alcohol connected to that also?
3: I'm so glad you asked, Tony. Thank you. Yes. So my mother was a model when, before I was born and when I was a young baby and um, I, I, there was definitely an influence there on the size of our, you know, a minute on your lips is an inch on your hips um, I remember her saying that so many times and I love my mom. We have a great relationship. So this is not a just to her. Sure. Um, it is, it is just the way that it was. And uh, my grandparents, so on the flip side, it was, uh, it was always, um, you know, finish your plate. You, you can eat, you didn't eat enough. Um, there's, there's more, there's people starving. My, my, both my parents had come from, grandparents had come from world war two. My grandmother was in a concentration camp. My grandfather was a paratrooper and They instilled in me such gratitude for everything that I have and to never, never complain, to never be ungrateful, just to appreciate my legs, my, my, my nose, my face, my, my knees, my food, my water, and, um, and then the, the, the abuse, I think, of food growing up as a young child was that we got to eat because we never know when the next famine is coming along. And that is where I, the generational came into play for me, as well as um, the, the, the need for love. So my grandfather, bless his heart, would say things to me like, I will love you if you clean your room. I will love you more if you finish your plate. And those things on a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old can really instill a belief system that carries on uh, throughout your entire life. And if we're fortunate, we can have an aha moment at some point, whether it's a conversation or a personal growth program that you recognize what's going on and can begin to deal with
1: it. So let's talk about the people who come to you for help. So your clients that, that, want to participate in your programs, what are they generally, and we can probably guess by everything we've heard so far, but I want to know uh, from you, what do they come to you for generally?
3: Uh, To get unstuck. Yeah. So people are looking for their sense of purpose. They're looking for a reason to get up in the morning. They're looking for more vitality, more energy, uh, you know, there's all, it shows up in so many different ways. However, I, at the end of the day, underneath it all, it's a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, a sense of um, I matter. And um, I'm going, you know, I'm going to work day in and day out, nine to five, I'm making $700,000 a year, and I feel lost, I feel empty, I feel like I'm not good enough, I feel like I'm not able to connect with another human being. Um, I'm coping with food. Uh, food is my coping mechanism or alcohol is my coping mechanism um, or infidelity is my coping mechanism. Um, it, it, there's so many different um, clients that have different experiences that they show up in different ways.
1: So, so just I, I don't want to ask too many simple questions, but I'm curious. So tell me a little bit about what makes a coping mechanism a coping mechanism.
3: Um, it's a, uh, a freedom from the, whatever you're coping from. And also it's a sense of control. So when we're out of control in something, we need a sense of control in something else. And believe it or not, an alcoholic will feel like they're in control of the alcohol uh, or somebody that is having an affair will feel like they're in control of that affair. We can justify things. We can make sense of things. And feel a sense of control over that. When there's something in life that we feel out of control in, we need to have a sense of control somewhere, and that becomes the coping mechanism.
1: Do uh, that's excellent, thank you. Do people sometimes um, do they color off the page or go off the easel sometimes because they want to be released from their discipline? In other words, they feel like they need to be rewarded. They've been I don't I don't know use the quote air quotation marks they've been good for a little while now this is my way of of releasing myself do people do that too
3: Absolutely absolutely especially where there's a lack of appreciation in in uh, someone's life if they're not feeling appreciated for even the little things you know if a, if a husband takes out the garbage every week it becomes expected and it's no longer appreciated and that can lead to um, you know, going and finding that appreciation in some other way.
1: So I'm kind of a crafty, sneaky podcast host. There's a reason that I wanted you on because this is Christmas week when this is going to air. And so Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, I think, and I could be wrong, but I believe these are the times of year where we really use our coping mechanisms and we really allow ourselves a lot of extra rope to do uh, things because... You know, it's people, it's like you said, in the environment you were in, it was just what people did. It's just, this isn't a problem. This is the way everybody behaves. So a lot of that goes on during the holidays. So give me some good advice during the holidays to make sure that I don't um, use that as an excuse to do things I shouldn't do.
3: Well, I hope that everybody recognizes that we're all human and that um, to beat ourselves up, so to speak, or berate ourselves or shame ourselves is not an effective uh, mechanism when we do fall off, so to speak, or slip uh, from our intentions. And what I would suggest is, so the first thing is be kind to yourself if you do find yourself um, taking advantage of the Christmas holidays or the the, the festivities, the alcohol, the, the pasta, the, the
1: that dang old sweets. plate of brownies.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so be, be kind with yourself. If it happens once or twice a year, it's not the end of the world.
1: My neighbor brought over this plate of Christmas cookies. I got to eat them. I don't want to hurt her feelings
3: yeah well, you can have one and put the rest in the freezer they will keep <laughs> so, where there's the will there's a the way yeah. i would say um you know have a plan have a plan if we if we aim at nothing we hit nothing so we have to have we, we've got to set our intentions we've got to understand what it is that we're going towards what are we going after what is the what is the goal of the holiday so if you're having if you're going to be with your your siblings or your in-laws or family that you know is going to ruffle some feathers do your best to stick to conversations that are not um I would say political or because there's going to be there's gonna be unrest in the house. So you know, you you say with the safe conversations this year in particular because it's we're all I think on edge with there's so much uncertainty in the world already. And we need to uh so be kind with yourself, have a have a plan, have it, have a see, you know, do a, a um uh a visualization of how you see the the holidays going, you know, see yourself at the weight that you wanna see yourself at, see yourself having the conversations that you wanna have, see yourself loving and um, being kind and being generous and being patient with the people in your life that you may otherwise not be. So set that intention and then just, you know, do your best to stick with it, have backup plans have a phone, a friend ready. If somebody pushes a button and just know that your family has placed your buttons. So they know where your buttons are. So they're able to push your buttons. And if we can, if we can be aware of that, go in knowing that, then we have more of a, of a chance of, of having a peaceful holiday season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I, uh, you know, with my clients and I'm sure you do it with yours too. I use reframing a lot and you know, I, I, I've been telling my clients, look, this holiday season's going to be different than any holiday season we've ever been a part of in our generation. So there's not going to be as many parties. There's not, you know, because usually there's 4,000 parties to go to, right? And so that's the easiest way in the world to enable yourself to do the things that, you know, two weeks later you wish you hadn't done. And so now we got a great opportunity to, as a launching pad, to launch ourselves because we don't we won't have that many social gatherings if we do they'll be really small so what a great time to really empower yourself to be you know to not use those coping devices do you kind of agree with that or
3: absolutely absolutely it's the it's the it's the best time to set a plan and a lot of us will wait until january 1 to set our our goals for the next year and i say do it now do it now the 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 percentage i'm not certain of what the percentage is but it's it's like 90 something percent by january 13th have all fallen off their their goals whereas if people set their goals mid-december late December, the the chances of sticking to your goals are so much greater because you're doing it for you. You're not doing it as part of the hype of I've got to set a goal. Nobody has to set a goal. Really set something that you want to set and and go what I call seven layers deep. And you'll hear this from a lot of different uh, uh, people in, in the industry of personal growth. Go seven levels deep. So if you're setting a goal for health, for example, and it's like, I want to fit into my jeans. Well, that's great. Well, what is that going to do? Well, that's going to you know, help me feel better. Okay, well, great. Well, what's that going to do? Well, then I'm just going to show up in my relationship as a happier person. Well, that's great. What is that going to do? Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to ripple effect into my kids. Well, that's great. What's that going to do? And so really like lifting, lifting, lifting to, to really find that deep, deep, deep reason within your heart and soul of why you want to set that goal and not let it be about, the the hype of setting a a goal for new year's Eve, setting a resolution. That's really um, important. I believe.
1: I love that. I love that. And people start to think that way. When they start to think that way and they're looking at the positive um, chain of events that are connected to the good behavior, they start thinking about, "Ah, I never noticed all the negative chain of events that happened. You know, we don't pay attention to that because we're thinking about ourselves, right? So when people come to you, let's talk a little bit more about health. That's really your wheelhouse. So when people come to you, How do you help them? Like, what's the first one or two things that get them started on a good path?
3: It's the why, the power of the why, number one.
1: Why do you want to do this?
3: Why do you want to do this? And that is the longest um, process. Usually Uh, people can take up to three hour sessions to really get deep and figure that out uh, because, we often stick to the surface reasons and the surface reasons based on results are not enough. You wouldn't have come to a coach if you, if you were able to do it on your own. So
1: absolutely. I had a client I was coaching the other day. We just had our, we, we uh, started at the beginning of the year and we located some things that were issues that they wanted to correct and work on and this, that and the other. And so I, I didn't have them go back to that piece of paper all the time But then by the time we got to December, I said, let's pull up your piece of paper that You wanted to work on and they're like, wow, I've done that and I've done that and I've done that. And they they didn't quite realize it in the moment of the process. But after a little while, you know, I used to be in the broadcasting business and we would always keep the tapes of the people who were on air like their first year. And then in the middle of their second year, we'd pull out the tape and they'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so much better than I was a year and a half ago. Right. It's it's a long game. And I think that's why a lot of people um, bail out, right? Because it, it's it's a long you're committing to a long term process if you really want to get better. And I guess that's why you start with why, because that's the powerful place to begin
3: it really is it really is without that there's there's no juice you know the why is the gasoline the why is the juice it's it's what keeps us going and sometimes it's not that obvious so it's okay to and you know it's really important to be playful tony i find that that we've lost a lot of play we've lost a lot of joy we've lost a lot of fire in why we do things it's so many of us are stuck in how to do things and oh i'm supposed to do something and it's expected of me to do something it's like well you this is your life and you need to treat your life like your life depends on it because it does And your goals and your passions and your reasons for getting up in the morning are yours, no one else's. And that's a decision that we all have to make at some point in our lives, that this is my life Mm -hmm. and this is my legacy and this is my reason for doing X, Y, Z. Nobody else's. And that is so, so, so important. It's not about being the me that, that, you know, you want me to be, or my husband wants me to be, or my daughter wants me to be, or my boss wants me to be. It's the me that I want to be. That is what's most important. And when we were kids, we could learn infinite amounts of anything, you know, they, they, talk to five year old children that speak seven languages no problem and why is that because we learn when we're full of joy because children are laughing they're carefree they're not consumed with the how to do stuff they're just doing it and they're they're not afraid to fail mm. and so if we make things fun for people that's where I think the participation gets elevated. That's where we want to show up. We, we don't care if it takes three or four days to figure out what our why is because we're having fun in the process. So it's so important to bring the joy back.
1: I love that because when we're kids, we had an infinite imagination. We believe we can do anything. We do it because we want to. And then after we've lived thirty years or thirty-five years, and we've hit a bump or two, and life's thrown a few things at us, we how do why do we lose that?
3: Well, because everybody around us is telling us what's expected. Mm. So you know, from the from the age of two we're celebrated you know when when we're when we're little babies we have a poop it's like yay she yeah. had a poop you know or the first word and then the first steps and you could do no wrong oh look at the cute picture they drew and then you go to school and all of a sudden you're supposed to be quiet and you're supposed to sit with your hands folded on your desk and no talking and you got to ask to go pee and you got to be there on time and you eat when you're told to eat and Your clothes are laid out for you, you know, until you decide what to wear. And then sometimes your parents are yelling at you because what you chose to wear and that creativity and that imagination just gets squashed and that freedom, that playful, that joy in the child gets squashed. We start to get yelled at instead of celebrated. And it's that turning point. And if we can go back to that turning point and recognize that it wasn't us that was mad at us, it was others. And it was because we were conforming. And, and the, to conform is, is just, it's, um, oh, it's awful.
1: (laughs) awful. Well, you hit the nail on the head. There's a pressure to fit in, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a pressure to fit in. And then we, you know, I think there's balance in that too. Like sometimes people get that idea of, well, I'm not going to fit in. I'm going to stand out. Then they go too far and they hurt their chances of success because sometimes the world isn't ready quite for this far as you go. So you, you kind of have to be, that's why having that inner peace and that inner happiness with yourself is so important, right? And not, not think so much about I have to fit in or I have to satisfy X, Y, or Z. So that's pretty much what I wanted to talk to you about Any final thoughts about, you know, anything you want to tell people about, you know, uh, taking care of themselves or uh, managing their coping devices or anything we've talked about?
3: I would say that you matter. That is the most important message that I have is that you matter. And so on the days where you feel like you're not special, you're not important, you're just a paycheck or you're just there to cook and clean or make babies or you know whatever belief that you've made up in your mind that is not serving you start working on on replacing it with something that will serve you and for me to serve is to to know that you matter to know that you are god's highest form of creation that you are put on this world on this earth with imagination and creativity and passion and life and so take whatever it is that you want and go and do it and find safe, healthy, creative ways of doing it. Find somebody to mentor you, to support you. Find someone to cheer for you. Find someone that's going to lift you up when you're feeling down and someone that's going to celebrate you when you're on top of the world. And that is going to be another soul. That is going to be another person. It could be a dog. It could be a cat. um, But it's not alcohol and it's not drugs because those those things are are numbing those things are are numbing out who we are and so then we even get further lost further lost because we we've just suppressed what's really inside so just know that you are a magical amazing life force and you have gifts that no one else has. You're very special and the world needs you and the world needs your smile. The world needs your smile. And it's usually the person who's not smiling, who needs your smile the most. Honestly, I say, if I can do it, you can do it. And there's lots of people here to help you hold your hand and cheer for you along the way. You just have to be willing to say, yes, please.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I did think of one more thing I was going to mention to you. I um, I think uh, as I think back to about February when this COVID hit and I think about my clients and people I talk to, you know, the two people that I, the two groups of people I think have had it most difficult are the people with a high connection need because, you know, we they don't view Zoom as really connecting uh, or maybe they don't even use zoom, you know, so they're used to, you know, seeing people every day. They're used to, you know, being around people, this, that, and the other. And so we've social distance and we've quarantined and we've done all this stuff. And then the other people that are the people that have high uncertainty need, right? Because they're like, well, I work from home now and every day seems the same. I don't really get a change of scenery. I don't go to some of the places I used to be able to go to. My routine has set in. And uh, so what what are your thoughts about those two things, connection and uncertainty in the time that we're in right now?
3: It excites me. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to shift. It's an opportunity to create more awareness about our belief systems. And when our expectations it it all comes down to expectation and if we are fearful or we are angry the greatest way to move that over is with gratitude because the, the beautiful thing about gratitude is that it's impossible to be angry when we're grateful it's impossible to be fearful when we're grateful so replace those expectations with appreciation and fill yourself with gratitude I can relate to, I am a, I, I'm a person that is always at the parties. I am, you know, I love to dress up. I love to go out. I love to socialize. I socialize seven days a week before COVID hit. And I've just had to find creative ways at home to have my needs met. And I realized that it's not outside sources that make me happy. It's inside sources. And you've got to explore what those are. You've got to look at, Meditation. I've never been a meditator in all my life. I just started meditating in recent weeks, and I've found so much joy inside of me yeah. that even more that I didn't know was buried in there. And so, just you know, yeah, that's
1: that's, I, that's one think. of the things. I mean, I've always been sort of an independent sort too and that's one things i like about your videos you do because you're like i'm gonna put on some music you don't have to put on any music but i'm gonna put on some music because i like it and i'm gonna (laughs) jump on the rebounder a while you know why because i like to jump on it you know and so i i just think it's very empowering and i appreciate what you do so i've got a standard list of closing questions i ask every guest that comes on the show there's 12 of them i'm gonna shoot them to you and first thing comes to mind okay Okay. All right. What is the best memory you have that immediately comes to mind?
3: Oh my gosh. Uh, it's with my grandparents and we are playing, we're building a card house.
1: Mm. Awesome. Early version of Jenga. So wh- who's, the, <laughs> who, who's the number one hero in your life? My mom. What was her name or what is her name?
3: Her name is Lillian.
1: Oh, cool. What's the top value you subscribe to? Commitment. Who's the most important person in your life? Me. Good answer. What's your favorite thing in the whole world?
3: Uh, Sunsets with my husband.
1: What's your favorite food? Pasta. Oh, my. That seems like that doesn't go together. (laughs) I'm sure you're going to tell me it, you put limits on yourself and you discipline, right?
3: No, when I'm eating pasta, I eat pasta.
1: You just because burn if it I'm out. Because
3: I'm disciplined throughout the week, then oh. I get to have my, my moments of splendid.
1: Oh, good. Well, that's good news. All right. So most beautiful place you've ever been to? Bora Bora. Oh, never been, like to go. Uh, if you could describe success in one word, what would the word be?
3: Persistence.
1: How do you want to be remembered? Joyful. If you could go back and talk to a young Mika, what would be your best advice for her?
3: Have fun and make a difference.
1: What's your favorite sound? The drums. And what is the best lesson you've learned so far?
3: That I can make a difference.
1: Wonderful. Great answers. So today we've been talking with uh, Mika Casey. She's a certified holistic nutritionist. She's a vitality coach. If you can't tell she has vitality and she wants to inspire it in you by now, I don't know what to tell you. And she's also a respected trauma counselor. She helps all kinds of people, all kinds of things that fall into those categories. Mika, tell everybody how to learn more about you, about what you do, about your programs and how to contact you and all that.
3: Oh, thanks, Tony. Well, you can reach me at um, work with at gmail.com.
1: Okay, great. I highly recommend you go and, and, you know, I don't know if you have room for any more Facebook friends or not, but you ought to check out the videos because you do those pretty often, don't you?
3: I do. I do a, a video just about every day and I love, I, I would love to, yeah, Mika Casey, Um, M-E-E-K-A-C-A-I-S-S-I-E on Facebook. Everybody is welcome to follow along and I love your comments and yeah, thank you. Thanks, Tony. Well,
1: listen, we've been talking about doing this for a long time. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy, but I really appreciate you doing this for me and our listeners.
3: Thank you so much. It's been a a pleasure. You ask great questions and thanks uh, thanks for the work that you're doing. You're making a difference in the lives of others and I'm so grateful.
1: would love to have you back sometime.
3: Anytime.
1: I'll have a leadership and business lesson coming up next on Better Than Before.
2: The three-row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus up to 27 miles per gallon. Kelly Blue Book's most trusted and best overall brand for 2020. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Join us for the Subaru share the love event going on. Now Subaru will donate $250 to purchases or lessees selected national and hometown charities, university, Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See retailer or Subaru.com slash share for details.
0: Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com.
1: Welcome back to better than before I'm Tony Richards. And today as we continue all through December with my leadership and business lessons on teams, teamwork, and executive teams, what are the characteristics of elite performing teams? And as I've told you before, I've been on many teams, I've coached many teams, I've led many teams, been a part of many teams. And teams are unique in that they're a group, but they're still made up of individuals. And individual performance really drives the team as long as it's in good health and alignment with the whole, right? So here are the 10 characteristics that I would tell you I would look for as far as making an elite performing team. Number one, and this goes with what I just said, People have solid and deep trust in each other and in the team's purpose. They feel free to express feelings and ideas openly. In other words, they're healthy and the environment around them is healthy. You know, I've described cultures before as uh, full of oxygen where everyone's breathing and growing, or sometimes cultures can be full of carbon monoxide where everyone is slowly dying. And so The executive team and many times just on any team, there's a micro culture that's being permeated throughout the whole organization on the macro culture. So how your team is performing and this is really essential for an executive team because you're at the top of the pyramid and everyone is taking their cues from you. So your microculture inside the executive team is a model for the macroculture. So you have to be highly aware of that, that we're healthy and aligned at the top. Number two, everyone is working toward the same goals. We call this alignment. In other words, we all know what the priorities are. We all know what the key performance indicators are. And we have a rhythm worked out in other words we know when meetings are what kind of meetings they are what the objective of the meeting is and in the all of those meetings and all that rhythm that we're trying to set rhythm and flow in the organization those same goals are in there every single time so our our mission our vision our core values our goals those things are abundantly clear everyone knows those everyone knows what we're working for and everybody knows what we're working toward. Number three, team members are clear on how best to work together and how to accomplish projects and tasks. So I use a lot of assessments in my practice with teams. Uh, Everyone knows the behavioral tendencies of each other. Everyone knows how to communicate with each other. Everyone knows how not to communicate with each other. Everyone knows the four or five consistent signature strengths that each team member brings to the team. The go-to moves that they have that make them special, unique, and productive. This is all very clear to every member of the team and working in concert Someone's weakness is another person's strength. Another person's strength is another person's weakness, but we're aligned like a jigsaw puzzle with every piece perfectly fitting together for a beautiful vision of the future. Number four, everyone understands both team and individual performance goals, and they know what is expected. So those goals for the team and for the individuals, have all been negotiated, have all been worked out, have all been bought into, and all have high intention levels of success. Number five, team members actively diffuse tension and friction in a relaxed and informal way, creating a relaxed and informal atmosphere. In other words, there's a high comfort level between all the members on the team. And so we're able to diffuse tension when tension breaks out or friction happens. We're able to take care of it very quickly because we're very comfortable with each other and the atmosphere is comfortable. We are very comfortable getting feedback. Number six, the team engages in extensive discussion and everyone gets a chance to contribute, even the introverts, right? So there are, and I've talked about some of the techniques before and some of the strategies before to get uh, extroverts going and get introverts going. But you have to know, first of all, who is what and how deeply they are that, how deeply are they introverted, how deeply are they extroverted, and how do we work on that so that everyone feels included and we get the best out of everyone. Number seven, disagreement is pictured and viewed and processed as a good thing, and conflicts are managed. Criticism is constructed and oriented toward problem-solving and removing obstacles. In other words, it's never personal, right? You leave that part out of it. If you're going to do that, let's have a one-on-one, and let's get that emotional and personal trash out. Let's have a cleansing Right. And that is something that has to happen sometimes, but conflict needs to be handled that way. That's that's that trashy conflict between people where, you know, they, they just don't like maybe the other person in certain situations. It's not that they dislike them overall. It's sort of like when you do this, I don't like it. Right. And after stuffing it for a while and not saying anything, which I would always prescribe the rule of three here, So if somebody does something makes you uncomfortable or make or ticks you off or whatever, give them a pass the first time, give them a pass the second time, but you have to take action the third time. You have to either call them aside and talk about it. You have to talk to your supervisor about it. You have to have a triad between you and the person and your supervisor, but you have to do something, right? If you keep stuffing it past three, it's going to go to resentment. And then it's going to go to resistance. You're not going to want to have anything to do with them. We're going to have a silo created then. And then, unfortunately, a lot of times it goes to revenge. You start thinking about how to get them back or how to take out your frustration on them in a negative way. And all of these progressions happen after the third time you do nothing, right? Number eight. Number eight. The team makes decisions when there is natural agreement. In the cases where agreement is elusive, a decision is made by the team lead or executive sponsor, after which little second guessing occurs. There are times where the person in charge, so if it's an executive team, it's the CEO. The CEO has to make a call. There comes a time where it's talked about, it's talked about, it's argued, it's argued, it's argued, it's knocked around, it's discussed and cussed and all kinds of things, and you just can't seem to get to a final decision. There is a time where the CEO goes, okay, we're going this way, we're going this direction. And at that point, you need to buy in, and you may still disagree with whatever decision he or she makes but you're gonna be a um, stumbling block to the team if you just continue to be an obstruction and you continue to be negative or you continue to not be in agreement. At that point, you have had the right and privilege to say whatever's on your mind and you've had the right and privilege to give your opinion and you've been able to speak freely you have to be happy with whatever result there is or whatever decision gets made. Number nine, each team member carries his or her own weight and respects the team processes and other members. So in other words, if you're going to be on the team, there's going to be a certain amount of the load that you're going to have to carry. And you're going to have to respect the process. You can't go out on your own. You can't be a maverick. You can't be a lone wolf out on the prairie just doing whatever you want. You have to function inside the process with the team that's been pre-agreed upon. So you have to respect the team process. You ever move furniture? And uh, this also happens when you're a pallbearer, I think. So you're a pallbearer, and there's five other pallbearers carrying the casket, and you're thinking, I don't think a couple of people are really helping that much. I mean, this shouldn't be you know this heavy and, and those caskets are heavy. But also with a couch or moving furniture, you know, you're kind of picking it up and carrying it and the other person's kind of maybe just you know, halfway doing it. That can't happen on a team. and if it does, you have to call it out or the leader has to call it out. Somebody has to call attention to it and get it stopped. And number 10, last one, the leadership of the team outside of the manager or supervisor, the leadership of the team shifts from time to time as appropriate to drive corresponding results. So for instance, if you're on an executive team and, and what we're talking about uh, is operations and you're the chief operating officer, you take the leadership role then uh, because those Corresponding results are primarily in your area of responsibility. So you begin to lead the other executives on the team because this falls in your jurisdiction. If you're the chief financial officer and it has to do with the balance sheet, it has to do with the PL, has to do with the financial end of the organization, you take the lead, right? So it just depends from time to time. The appropriate corresponding results dictate who takes over leadership of the group outstanding the designated manager or CEO. And then uh, the final thought on that is no individual member is more important than the team whole. So when you start thinking you're irreplaceable, you're on the road to a bad place. That's all I can tell you. So everyone is replaceable. No one's more important than the whole. No one's more important than the whole of the team. No one's more important than the whole of the organization. We're all here. It's like my dad told me once. He said, uh, and he could tell, he gave me a job of feeding the horses. That was my first job when I was like six or seven years old, was mixing up milk and putting it in a bottle and putting the nipple on the bottle and feeding it to the baby horses. And that was my job. And believe it or not, I didn't like my job very much. And so my dad takes me aside one day and he says, listen, I can tell. And though my dad was a pretty good coach, he wasn't wordy. He didn't have a lot of words to say, but what he said was pretty effective. He said, listen, I can tell you don't like doing this. And I can tell that this is not your favorite thing to do. You'd rather be throwing a ball, hitting a ball, shooting a ball, doing something with a ball. And I've got you here working with a milk bottle and a baby horse. But listen, these horses are the vehicles that are driving the prosperity of our family. If we don't have these horses, we don't have a way to make a living today. They are putting food on our table. They are putting uh, soda in the cabinet. They're putting stuff in our refrigerator because we take care of them and we get taken care of. And I just had a revelation at a very young age about how right he was. And I started thinking, I've got to do my part for the family. I hate this job. I don't like doing this, but it's helping my family. And our family's going to suffer if I don't do my job right, because if I don't take care of the horse, the horse can't take care of us. And so it's amazing to me how people – don't view companies that way they don't view the organization that way they don't think i've got to take care of the organization the organization will take care of me they will help me buy a car the organization will provide money for me right and so it helps me buy groceries it helps me buy a house it helps me buy a car it helps me raise my kids giving them the things they need helps me put my kids through college helps me go on vacations with my family and if i don't do the right thing by this organization that is providing these things for me where am i going to be able to produce those things and so no one is more important than the team and no one's more important than the organization so there's 10 characteristics of elite performing teams, and as you might guess, there aren't that many around. And so everyone has every team has things to work on. Maybe they're good at five or six of these things, but there's four uh, or three or five of them that still need work. So I'm pretty sure I'll have a job for the rest of the time I need one because these are things that we have to do if we want elite performance, and elite results in our team. Well, that's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. And right now, when you get a new Subaru during the Share the Love event, Subaru will donate $250 to a charity in need. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Well, from all of us here at the Better Than Before show, I just want you to know we want you to have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and we're going to have a best of show next week and then we'll return with an all new episode the first week of January 2021 when we start our fourth year of better than before we appreciate your support we appreciate you subscribing we appreciate you sharing it with your friends and with your colleagues and with your social media audiences and we just want you to have the best of happy of holiday of uh, the best happy holidays that you've ever had this year And so from all of us here, Whitney Coker, our associate producer, and our chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards, and I want to remind you, this Christmas and this New Year's, everything will get better when you get better.
0: Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.